Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It's 8.14 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 17th of May, Tuesday, 2022. This is episode 591 of Bitcoin. And I blew it yesterday by sending out the notification of the show, which was 590 yesterday and labeled it as 589. Thank you to the two or three people that uh, caught that for me. But it was entirely too late for me to fix my little red wagon. So we're going to try to do it right today. That does not mean I will get it right. Now, <clears throat> if you want to support the show, please do. I, I'm asking for your support. I don't have a problem with asking for your support. So I'm asking for your support. And you can do it while teaching yourself how to get into the Lightning Network by using Podcasting 2.0. You get one of the Podcasting 2.0 apps It is a podcast player that has inside of it a lightning wallet. It's embedded. You don't have to attach it. You don't have to do dick. What you do have to do is fill it full of sats, though. You got to get some, you got to get some sats into your wallet, and you can do that in various different ways. Um, Once you do that, you can listen to the show. I can stream you, I can stream you this while you stream me Satoshi's, and it goes right to my lightning node without any intermediaries, which I really, really like seeing. And if you don't want to do that, you can, in fact, support me through Dirty Legacy Fiat with my Patreon page. That's patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and podcast. Now, on to the news. Got this press release uh, yesterday. It was announced by uh, underscore or not. I'm sorry at JLB underscore Oso, that's O-S-O, and R-G underscore Leachman. I think they're brothers, and one was congratulating the other on the following, and here we have the press release from Texas Pacific Land Corporation. All right, here we go. Texas Pacific Land Corporation, Mawson Infrastructure Group Incorporated, and Jai Energy <clears throat> announced new Bitcoin mining venture in West Texas to develop up to 60 megawatts of Bitcoin mining on TLP's surface in West Texas. Based on utilization of current generation Bitcoin mining hardware, these new facilities, which will be owned and operated by Mawson, could accommodate up to two exahashes of Bitcoin mining operational capacity. TPL and Jai will earn a net royalty interest and retain an option to acquire an equity stake. Mawson intends to participate in demand response programs as part of its power procurement strategy and is evaluating behind the meter renewable solutions. Mawson and Jai have four locations planned in Texas with two located on TPL surfaces. 
Construction is expected to commence in the second quarter of 2022 and operations targeted to begin in the fourth quarter of 2022. Quote, this project marks the beginning of TPL's journey into Bitcoin. And we are fortunate to collaborate with Mawson and Jai as two highly regarded companies in the Bitcoin mining industry, said Tyler Glover, CEO of TPL. We believe TPL's extensive surface footprint in West Texas can serve as a premier destination for the Bitcoin mining industry, providing site locations proximate to existing grid infrastructure and excellent solar and wind resource for future renewable power procurement. <clears throat> we are aligned to see this venture succeed and seal, wait a minute, and scale, sorry, scale as we look to leverage our unique asset base industry and customer relationships and the region's abundant uh, energy abundance. For TPL, our shareholders will benefit from a unique royalty stream while retaining an option to participate as an equity partner, end quote. Quote, Texas is rapidly emerging <clears throat> as an attractive new Bitcoin mining destination in the United States, and we are eager to establish a foothold in the state, said James Manning, CEO and founder of Mawson. Community engagement and sustainability are important priorities for Mawson, and we look forward to being a responsible corporate citizen in the communities in which we operate. We are excited to have partnered with Jai and TPL, and we believe our combined efforts and competencies will provide substantial opportunities for future development, end quote. Now, here's, here's Jai Energy's statement. We're thrilled to join with TPL and Mawson to bring Bitcoin mining to Texas, said Justin Ballard, founding partner of Jai Energy. As a former longtime professional in the oil and gas industry, I believe that Bitcoin can serve as a great complement to the oil patch <clears throat> and together achieve success. Additionally, it is extremely valuable to the entire Bitcoin mining space to see a group like TPL getting involved in the industry. Jai Energy strives to educate energy companies and landowners on the benefits that Bitcoin mining can bring. And we applaud TPL for being a leader and jumping at the opportunity to enter this emerging industry. And then there's some forward-looking state statements. <clears throat> That's cover your ass statements about, you know, uh, we're not going to piss off the SEC. But about TPL, okay, this is, this is kind of interesting to, this is interesting to know. Texas Pacific Land Corporation is one of the largest landowners in the state of Texas with approximately 880,000 acres of land in West Texas, with the majority of its ownership concentrated in the Permian Basin. By the way, TPL is listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Ticker symbol is TPL if you want to go check it out. The company is not, I repeat, the company is not an oil and gas producer but its surface and royalty ownership allow revenue generation <clears throat> through the entire value chain of oil and gas development, including through fixed fee payments for use of our land, <clears throat> revenue for sales of materials such as caliche used in the construction of infrastructure, providing sourced water and treated produced water, revenue from our oil and gas royalty interest, and revenues related to saltwater disposal on our land. The company also generates revenue from pipeline, power line, and utility easements, commercial leases, and seismic and temporary permits related to a variety of land uses, including midstream infrastructure projects and hydrocarbon processing facilities. 
I want to come back to this in a second, but Mawson is an infrastructure group. Mawson Infrastructure Group is a digital infrastructure provider with multiple operations throughout the United States and Australia. Jai Energy was formed specifically to mine and provide Bitcoin mining services for applications involving stranded, flared, and poor economic natural gas streams. Jai Energy has its own mining farm located in Wyoming, currently the largest Bitcoin mining farm in the state, and now they want to come into Texas. Okay, well, I'm totally fine with that. <clears throat> but I want to go back to TPL. This is kind of interesting. If you don't know how oil and gas has traditionally been handled in at least the state of Texas, I was born on the oil patch, born, literally born in the Permian Basin in Midland, Texas. And I spent many, many, many a day and night as a child standing on the most dangerous place to work in the world, that's right, on the deck of an oil rig. Why is it so dangerous? Well, you're working under a load. There's a whole string of pipe that's suspended by a hydraulic rotating winch that's suspended above everybody's heads by a steel structure. That's the derrick part when you see an oil rig, right? The, thing, the tower that goes up. Yeah, it's holding a massive string of pipe and the thing that's actually holding it, the winch, also has a rotating head in it and it's suspended above your head. If it falls, everybody dies. Everybody dies. There's, there's no coming back from that shit, okay? Also, if you hit oil or gas, you hit pockets, uh, the whole thing could blow up. Just saying, I'm just saying. That's where I began my life. All right, so these guys own 880,000 acres of land and they don't produce a single drop of oil. They do not go explore for oil. They do not give a shit. Why? Because in Texas, when you own land, you own everything in the sky, you own the land itself, and you own everything underneath it. All mineral rights go to the land owner unless otherwise specified by the person that actually is buying the land and or selling the land. It is the case that it's possible to work out a deal with and sell somebody some land and retain the mineral royalty rights or the mineral rights beneath the ground. However, most of the land, especially around West Texas, all the land that's actually owned the owners own the mineral rights. That includes all the water, all the oil, all the coal, even though that there's not that much coal. But you get my drift. It, natural gas, if there's somebody if somebody strikes gold in West Texas, guess who owns the gold? That's right, the landowner. These guys are the landowners of almost a million acres of Permian Basin land, which is a shit ton of oil production. So when they say that they're, one of their revenue streams is royalties, they're not lying. They're, they're literally letting people to come in, get a lease, <clears throat> put an oil rig up. If they strike oil, then whatever the deal for the lease was is, is, you know, like when the oil guys sell the gas and the oil, they uh, give a cut of that production revenue to the guys that own the land. That's how a bunch of ranchers in West Texas got 
blindingly rich and no longer actually had to do ranching for a living. They just kept it as sort of a hobby, which is why ranching has decreased down in the Permian Basin. <clears throat> but we wanted to come back. That's a whole other story. But like the fact that they like sell water, you need water to run these rigs. These rigs need to be able to dispose of water and salt water is used for various reasons. We won't get into why. Well, it's heavier and it has a tendency to flow down hole. That's just a whole different deal. Okay. So the point is, is that Texas Pacific Land Corporation is in a catbird seat. This entire endeavor can f could fail and they wouldn't feel it. So they are one of the prime people that you want to get into Bitcoin mining because they're not, they're, they're, they're the people that will do it because they're not going to get destroyed financially if the whole thing goes to hell in a handbasket. Essentially, they're, I think what the deal is, they're probably just leasing the land to Mawson and Jai. And when Mawson and Jai makes revenue on Bitcoin mining, guess what? The, this royalty structure, I guarantee you, is structured the exact same way as the ancient oil and gas royalty structures of, of old you know, of your, like the way that my daddy did it, right? Which <clears throat> the way that my daddy made uh, oil deals was that at that time it was a handshake and there honestly, seriously, there was no contracts. That shit didn't start happening until the 80s, mid 80s, somewhere around there. And then once you got into the 90s, oil fell from guys wearing hats and boots to uh, guys wearing uh, shirts and suits and ties. And it just became a, fucking shit show. Anyway, so I'm real happy about this. This actually makes a lot of sense because I guarantee you that royalty structure is ex exactly the same as, as oil and gas royalty structures are right now. And that's what's going to be able to pull in the rest of the oil and gas guys because they're going to understand that royalty structure. It's not going to be something new. It's not going to be something that they got to learn. It's not going to be something that their contracts that they already have, you know, stock contracts of or contract language that their lawyers always read, it's not gonna be like, oh shit, we gotta learn a whole new thing. I, no, that's not the way to get somebody into something. If we can speak their language, then we'll teach them to speak ours, but we've got to speak their language first. This is what's called a first contact situation. I love this, this is great. I can't, I can't wait to see more, man, honestly. Um, now, <clears throat> did Terra, did their operators bail out crypto whales? I don't know. New Money Review has it. Looks like it's written by a guy named Paul Amory. The operators of the collapsed Terra stablecoin, UST, last week allowed selected holders of the dollar token to cash out at close to 100 cents on the dollar using cryptocurrency exchanges Gemini and Binance as a conduit. So those Gemini and Binance are complicit in the following. According to the Luna Foundation Guard, which operates a reserve pool backing UST and its related token Luna, holders of $2.7 billion in face value of UST were able to sell them for Bitcoin in two transactions last week. One with an effective Bitcoin UST exchange rate of $32,334 and the other with an exchange rate of $35,054. The Luna Foundation Guard revealed this information in a series of tweets this morning, <clears throat> which was actually yesterday morning. 
It did not disclose the timing of the transactions. However, evidence from Elliptic, a cryptocurrency research firm, suggested that the transactions took place on May the 9th and early on May the 10th when UST price traded in secondary markets for as low as 60 cents. UST is now trading at nine cents on the dollar, while the Luna token is effectively worthless. On May the 9th and 10th, Bitcoin's dollar price was between 31K and 30K. This implies that the holders of UST who were able to sell their tokens for the Bitcoin offered by the Luna Foundation Guard were able to exit their positions at close to face value rather than the deep discounts on offer in the secondary markets. On Friday, Elliptic published a blog in which it said that during last week's failed bailout attempt of the Terra Luna complex, Luna Foundation Guard moved its Bitcoin to two cryptocurrency exchanges, that being Gemini and Binance. Quote, on the morning of May 9th, the LFG announced that it would loan $750 million worth of BTC to OTC trading firms to help protect the UST peg, Elliptic said. Quote, Terra creator Du Quan later clarified that the Bitcoin would be used to trade, it went on, quote, at around the same time, 2,189 BTC worth roughly $700 million at the time, $750 million at the time, was sent from a Bitcoin address linked to LFG to a new address. Later that evening, a further 30,000 Bitcoin worth around $930 million was sent from another LFG wallet to the same address. Quote, it is not possible to identify whether these assets were sold or subsequently moved to other wallets, end quote. Quote, within hours, the entirety of this 52,189 Bitcoin was subsequently moved to a single account at Gemini, the United States-based cryptocurrency exchange across several Bitcoin transactions, Elliptic said. This left 28,205 Bitcoin in Terra's reserves. Quote, at 1 a.m. UTC on May the 10th, this was moved in its entirety in a single transaction to an account at the crypto asset exchange Binance. Again, it's not possible to identify whether these assets were sold or subsequently moved to other wallets. Shengpeng Zhao, chief executive of Binance, has been active on Twitter over the weekend in an attempt to defend his exchange's role in the Terra collapse, but has not addressed the topic of the Bitcoin movements from the Luna Foundation Guard. Yesterday, he was forced to deny rumors that Binance had invested $300 million uh, in Terra's second fundraising conducted late last year. Tyler and Cameron Winklevoss, the co-founders of Gemini, have not spoken of the Terra collapse on Twitter. <laughs> The two exchanges are now likely to come under increasing pressure to disclose which cryptocurrency market participants were able to exit their Terra stablecoin positions last Monday and Tuesday at close to par value, while retail holders of Terra and Luna have lost nearly all of their money. Ladies and gentlemen, as a prime example of why I don't shitcoin, it's because of shit like this. Shit like this, shit like this, shit like this is the worst. Why? Because we were given a gift in Bitcoin. And what is going on? Greedy assholes running around performing the same shit that the 
financial market, the legacy financial markets do every day now, only they're doing it under the guise of blockchain to dress it up, but it's the exact same functionality. The exact same people get saved. The exact same people get screwed. The exact same relationships are being formed in crypto. That's why I hate crypto. There's so many people out there that bemoan and bitch about Bitcoin. And honestly, 100% of them would be right if they weren't actually opening their flaps about Bitcoin. If they were talking about any, anything else in the crypto sphere, they would be 100% dead on. Paul Krugman is exactly right. If he'd stop shutting up, or if he'd start shutting up about Bitcoin and actually level his assault at the real culprits here and say Litecoin or Ethereum or whatever, then Paul Krugman would be absolutely right. Guess who else would be right? Peter Schiff. Peter Schiff is almost dead on on everything, except he uses the word Bitcoin. I think the next stage that we should enter into in as far as education is how the hell are we going to educate people that Bitcoin is not a cryptocurrency? How do we do that? Given the fact that for 12 years, we've been going on and on and on about cryptocurrency. And yet every shitcoin is used as a tool to destroy people's lives, except for Bitcoin. You know, it's going to get important because this kind of crap, dude, Binance and Gemini, they're going to be hauled up before some country's Congress at one point or another, or they're going to be flat ass sued. There's already at least one, and I guarantee you there's a hundred lawsuits just waiting to drop. So what does this mean for Bitcoin? Well, ladies and gentlemen, it means that we're probably in a bear market and not 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 really because of bears trying to push the price down. I think what this is, is this is sort of like another Mt. Gox moment where now we've got to figure out, we've got to wait and see what the hell happens. No, you're right. It shouldn't affect Bitcoin, but it's going to because it's going to affect the psychology of people. And Bitcoin is a symbiosis between technology and the human mind. And when you can fuck the human mind, that's going to bleed in into Bitcoin. So just I'm just saying, this is the Binance, Gemini, Terra Luna, Duquan situation is probably a, I don't know, it's probably going to be one of these zombie situations like Mt. Gox or uh, CX Quadriga, or was it, is that it? CX Quadriga? Whatever, Quadriga up in Canada. It's going to be like this zombie situation that just keeps coming around and keeps getting brought up. And every time this is a, going to be a, a, a fabulous new well of FUD to be able to drill into and pump the shit out and spray it over every fucking magazine cover that you can find. I guarantee you it's going to happen. So what do we do? You buy Bitcoin, <clears throat> you hold Bitcoin, and now we enter the build on Bitcoin phase of the bear market. Just saying, that's my gut feeling. Now, <clears throat> not helping the situation much, Brazilian stock exchange to begin trading futures this year. Yay, futures, a tool set. 
for being able to do price manipulation. Sorry, but that's just the way that I call it. The Brazilian stock exchange known as B3 will begin trading futures contracts for Bitcoin within the next three to six months, according from, to a report from Valor. Quote, we plan to launch Bitcoin futures in the next three to six months. CFO Andre Milanes reportedly said on a conference call, no details were offered on whether or not B3 had partnerships lined up to offer the products or if another company would be providing the infrastructure. This past January, Valor reported that Joaquin Milky de Lima, director of information technology at B3, started the exchange's intentions of releasing BTC futures. <clears throat> stated, not started, sorry, stated. During the January interviews, Milke noted that B3 had been looking into Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies since 2016, but that the issue of valuing the assets against either the dollar or the Brazilian real played a confusing role in B3's determination. Quote, we are identifying points of friction that we can help solve to face it, such as helping our customers provide the best access to their end customers. B3 noted that similarities between the equities markets include trade, settlement, and custody <clears throat> are all issues that the exchange believes it can offer a service for. Quote, we have around 30 national crypto brokers, apart from the international ones that operate here. We could offer a service to facilitate and standardize their operations. I believe you have something to explore in providing custody services and settlement processes, Milky told Valor in a January interview. So yet one more derivative product for Bitcoin based on its price, its spot price is coming online. Oh joy, that's like, I don't know how many we've got now total around the world. Let's, I'm gonna peg it at 12. If I'm, I'm being conservative, I'm probably wrong. If you know the real number of how many futures derivatives products that there is for Bitcoin, let me know at Ghost of Nunya on Twitter. Bitcoin, Bukele, and a bevy of central bankers meet in El Salvador, of course. This week, 44 central bankers from developing countries around the world are attending a conference in El Salvador to discuss financial inclusion, financing for small and medium-sized businesses, and Bitcoin. Central bank delegates from Ghana to Burundi, Jordan to the Maldives, and Pakistan to Costa Rica arrived in San Salvador for the conference upon El Salvador President Nayib Bukele's invitation. <clears throat> Organized by the Alliance for Financial Inclusion, a global policy leadership alliance, and in partnership with El Salvador's Central Bank, the conference will run for three days. In a tweet, the head of El Salvador's central bank, Douglas Rodriguez, shared, quote, El Salvador is proud to receive representatives from 44 central banks and financial authorities to learn about the implementation of Bitcoin and policies to promote financial inclusion. Rodriguez's superior, President Bukele, shared that he was planting seeds among the 44 delegates while tweeting a group photo of the leaders. The team behind the Bitcoin Beach project was also in attendance on hand to educate the central bankers. Bitcoin Beach El Zante was the birthplace of the Bitcoin law, a grassroots movement that led the to the first nation adopting Bitcoin. Nicholas Berti, co-founder of Galoy Money, the company that built the Bitcoin Beach wallet, said, quote, after spending a day with those central bankers, I can say still a lot of education to do. <laughs> quote, the vast majority have no idea of the potential of Bitcoin, but with El Salvador adopting Bitcoin, they now have a reason to dive into it. 
Birdie and his team spent the day speaking with central bankers, showing them how to use Bitcoin Lightning wallets, sending payments, etc. Progress was fast. So fast, in fact, that Birdie tweeted, quote, we can't onboard the central banks fast enough to Bitcoin with the BTC Beach wallet. <laughs> Photos of the event beggar belief with central bankers studiously learning how to send payments and create wallets. At present, only two countries around the world have recognized Bitcoin as legal tender, El Salvador and, the and recently the Central African Republic. Yes, Central African Pub Republic. There you go. Central African Republic, which was subsequently scolded by African central banks for adopting cryptocurrency. For some commentators, such as Dan Tapiro of Investment Fund 10T Holdings, who <clears throat> memorably, memorably told Cointelegraph during an interview, quote, I don't have cash. El Salvador's financial inclusion conference is momentous. He insinuates that the United States may need to catch up. Mm -hmm. For hardcore Bitcoiners, nonetheless, the opportunity to make a joke about the event was just too great. Gigi, a Bitcoin writer and author of the Bitcoin book, 21 Lessons, tweeted, quote, if they keep using Bitcoin, they won't be central bankers much longer. No, they probably won't. All right, so I don't know if the following is true, but a uh, uh, little anecdote here. Uh, 44 seems to be a very important number. There were 44 countries represented at, oh, what the, the, what the hell was that thing? The Bretton Woods Conference, which was held in 1944. Uh, can somebody fact check me on that? I mean, I, I was going to do it, and I can't right now because I don't like pausing while I'm reading. And we've got a couple more to clear up here. Bitcoin gaming studio Pink Frog raises $3 million for mobile games. Actually, it's P-N-K-F-R-G, but I'm pretty sure that they're actually pronounced Pink Frog. Sean Amick, Bitcoin Magazine. Pink Frog Studios, a mobile gaming studio startup designing games for the Lightning Network on Bitcoin, has raised $3 million in a seed round, according to a press release sent to Bitcoin Magazine. The funds will be used to develop casual gaming experiences built on the Lightning Network. With a core focus on mobile gaming, Pink Frog Studios focuses on free-to-play economics, which allow participating gamers to engage in economies without requiring funds to be spent to enjoy the game. The studio intends to integrate the creator economy into the mobile experience, driving a circular economy that allows users to earn and spend within the ecosystem. Quote, we founded Pink Frog Studios because we believe in a paradigm shift in casual mobile gaming as well as in a new way of digital financial transactions. Players and creators seek to be rewarded for their time, want to own and trade digital assets, and expect to gain value for their skills and contributions while having a fun time, said Philip Lanick, CEO and co-founder of Pink Frog Studios. Continuing on the circular economy, Lanick noted, with our product, we are addressing the needs of the generation of mobile natives and social creators as many participants in digital economies are looking for ways to become native to the environment that they chose. Seed round funding partners include Stillmark Velo Partners, Fulger Ventures, and the fund was led by LVP, who is a gaming industry expert and initial capital. Bitcoin's payment network, the Lightning Network, is the only protocol within the broader cryptocurrency field that has demonstrably established the ability for instant, nearly free transactions across the globe, 24-7 and at scale, Elise Colleen, founding managing partner of Steelmark, said. Quote, Moreover, Lightning payments are economical 
at very low value at just a fraction of a cent, making micropayments a native capability. So one more gaming company jumping in on Lightning. Thank God, I love these guys. Let's run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities. Why am I giggling? Because for the first time in my life, I've never seen this before ever. West Texas Intermediate is more expensive by a few cents than Brent North Sea. That is amazing, considering that Brent North Sea crude has more stuff in it that you can refine out. So you get more of a product line out of Brent North Sea than West Texas Intermediate. And yet here we are at West Texas Intermediate, $114.45 versus Brent's $114.35. So West Texas oil now beating Brent North Sea by a dime, bitches. That's after basically both of them experienced a 0.15% increase in prices this morning. Natural gas is up 4.58% to $8.32 per thousand cubic feet. And gasoline has fallen by almost a full point, back down under four bucks to $3.99. Gold, actually all the metal rocks or shiny metal rocks are doing well this morning. Gold is up half a point to $1,824.30. Silver is up uh, 0.64%. Platinum is up 1.79. Copper up 1.47%. And palladium is up almost a full two points. Agricultural futures are mixed. <clears throat> Wheat uh, taking a hit. Uh, well, actually, it's not that big of a hit. It's a point to, or half a point to the downside. Soybeans are three quarters of a point up. Corn is down half a point. Sugar is up a full point. Coffee's down a half point. Cotton, cotton is down one and a quarter. Rough rice unchanged. Chocolate is up scant at 0.2%. Ow, dow. Everything in legacy financial markets apparently there, it, the market's up. So either the plunge protection team is coming in or something else is going on. I don't know. Dow is up almost a full point. S&P up 1.34%. NASDAQ up almost a full two points. And the S&P mini is up 1.76%. Real money kind of doing better than yesterday. 30536 bucks. And we have 1.57 million BTC changing hands in the last 24 hour period. Well, that's about 65,000 BTC sent every hour on the hour. Average transaction value of 5.79 BTC and a median transaction value of 0.019 BTC or about 576 bucks. Block times continue to fall. Nine minutes, zero seconds per block. 0.12 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 19.67 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period with a 16.7% increase in, in hash rate. We're up to 241.7 exahashes per second. Dogecoin, your shitcoin indicator is standing at nine United States pennies and it shouldn't be worth one. 10,348 transactions are waiting on five blocks to clear. We have a $582.3 billion market cap, and that is 4.82% of gold's market cap. And if you so choose, you may purchase 16.7 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 
19,042,192.18 of, and 3,818.3 of those are in the Lightning Network, now valued at uh, $116.8 million, running over 17,020 nodes, having 83,184 payment channels that we know about, and 72.8% of all of it is being run over Tor's associated 11,935 lightning nodes, or at least the ones that we can see. That's going to do it for idols. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Elon Musk, Twitter deal cannot move forward until the CEO shows the extent of bot activity. Liam Kelly, writing for Decrypt.co, tells us about this whole Elon thing. Tesla CEO Elon Musk said today that his planned deal to acquire Twitter for $44 billion can't move forward until the social media company is able to provide more information as to how many fake accounts exist on the platform. <laughs> I love this. I honestly do. I'm not a big fan of Elon Musk, but this is actually kind of brilliant. He's devaluing the company. <laughs> Quote, 20% fake spam accounts, while four times what Twitter claims could be much higher, tweeted the SpaceX and Tesla CEO on Tuesday. During a conference in Miami on Monday, Musk also said that the renegotiating the Twitter takeover was not out of the question. See, he's devaluing the company right before their eyes. And if they don't get off the fucking stick, this deal falls through and they're going to be screwed. Adding that knowing exactly how many bots exist on the platform is as unknowable as the human soul. Parag Agrawal, the current CEO of Twitter, took to Twitter yesterday to explain how the company counts and monitors spam on the platform. Quote, our actual internal estimates for the last four quarters were all well under 5%, he wrote. Last Friday, Musk said that his $44 billion acquisition of the social media platform was temporarily on hold until he could verify that less than 5% of Twitter users were spam slash fake accounts. He cited a May 2nd report from Reuters for those figures. Putting the deal on hold seemed to have a much more bearish effect on Twitter's stock price. At the time, Twitter share price sunk by 19% following Musk's comments. Oh my God. Today, the stock is down roughly 3% in pre-market. This ain't the first time that Musk has raised concerns around bot activity on the microblogging site. When discussing his plans for Twitter, once the acquisition had been concluded, the Tesla chief said that eliminating spam was one of his top priorities. After that, he said he would make Twitter's code open source, build an edit button, and perhaps even add Dogecoin as a payment option for the platform's premium service. Beyond throwing Dogecoin into the media circus that has been this acquisition attempt, many within the cryptosphere have rallied around Musk's ambitions to make the internet's de facto town square one that promotes free speech. Crypto's largest exchange, Binance, has, for example, backed Musk's acquisition with $500 million, according to a recent 13D filing with the SEC. Binance CEO Shengpeng Zhao called it a small contribution to the cause. The filing also included investors such as Sequoia Capital and Andreessen Horowitz, both of which have been extremely active in the crypto space. 
Yes, with uh, Andreessen Horowitz being the absolute worst players and actors in this space that you can possibly imagine. I won't get into why, but Andreessen Horowitz is that whole A16Z thing. And if you look at what they've done and said in the past, you will understand that they are very bad actors in the space. So that's the deal with Musk. In case you wanted to know, that's what's going on. And it's a, it's a super brilliant play. Like I said, I, I'm not a fan of Elon Musk, but I, I got to give credit where credit is due. That's super brilliant because it like he, one, he could possibly be able to buy this company out way cheaper than what was what first brought them to the table. It's a bait and hook, right? You go to Walmart because of the 72 inch plasma, you know, flat screen TV was $1,400, whereas it usually is like 2,800 bucks. But what you get when you get in the store is they're sold out of that. Nope, that's all been sold already. Well, you've only been open for 15 minutes, assholes. No, no, look over here. Look over at this 54-inch flat screen TV. Now that thing and then this new deal rolls out where you don't get to save as much money as you thought you were going to save. And you don't get as big of a TV as you thought you were going to get. That's bait and hook or actually bait and switch, right? That's what he's doing. This is a bait and switch play, bro. And he's executing it perfectly. He's locked in Twitter's price at over 40 bucks a share during a really bad time in macroeconomics. And what does he do? He rug pulls their ass. He totally learned how to do that shit from being a shit coiner. I guarantee it. Dogecoin taught him well, apparently. Now, speaking of shit coins, under... Filed under what could possibly go wrong, Cloudflare expected to run Ethereum nodes as merge event approaches. Tim Hockey, Decrypt.co. Internet security company Cloudflare has announced in a new blog post that it plans to run and fully stake Ethereum validator nodes over the next few months. Quote, over the next few months, Cloudflare will launch and fully stake Ethereum validator nodes on the Cloudflare global network as the community approaches its transition from proof of work to proof of stake with, quote, the merge, read the post. Decrypt has asked Cloudflare how many nodes they plan to launch, but we have not yet received a response. Cloudflare is committed to playing a small role in the transition to Ethereum 2.0. The upgrade when Ethereum will transition from being proof of work to proof of stake, where miners who put up the most collateral validate the most transactions. What does that sound like to you? Sounds like central banking. That sounds like legacy finance system. That's not what I got in this shit for. That's why I don't own any Ethereum, sold it. All of it, fuck it. It's a piece of shit. The merge refers to when Ethereum's main net will merge with the POS-based beacon chain. After that, Ethereum 2.0 will be up and running. Yeah, good luck. Cloudflare says its Ethereum validator nodes will serve as a testing ground for research on energy efficiency, consistency management, and network speed. Anyone can become an Ethereum validator node and earn rewards to verify new blocks to be added to the blockchain. All you need is a computer that has, you know, 24-7 internet access and about 32 Ethereum or $66,666. 66666. I'm serious. Numbers are important. Look, I tinfoil hat along with the best of them, but I also know when things are, you know, not right with the whole, I was 
thinking to myself about Illuminati. I won't get into that rant today as to why people think that that exists and how that could be, you know, how it could be seen that Illuminati are actually there when what's really going on is herd mentality and flocking behavior amongst the rich. But again, for another show, maybe this one, this numbers, numerology. Yeah. Okay. You know, it just, I mean, of course that price is going to change, but $66,666. It's all sixes. Evil, brother, evil. I, and honestly, it, that number could be all sevens and this stupid thing would still be evil. They've been talking about moving to proof of stake for seven years. And it keeps getting delayed. Year after year after year after year. And they get hacked year after year. Well, okay, they haven't been hacked. Like they, the Ethereum-based stuff hasn't been hacked in quite a while, but it used to, there used to be a time when it was just an everyday occurrence, it seemed like. Either either Ethereum was delaying the launch of proof of stake yet one more time, or a wallet infrastructure was completely hacked and drained of all of, of a whole bunch of Ethereum of Ether. It's a shit, it's a clown, it's a it's a circus tent with clowns running around on fire carrying dumpsters. That's what this whole thing is. Just either if you're Stay away from Ethereum if you possibly can. If you have to put your hands into Ethereum or Ether, then do it by putting your hands on Ethereum and trying to hack the living shit out of it. I mean, honestly, nobody needs to be in this crap. Cloudflare was founded in 2010 to help businesses fortify and speed up their websites. The company's mission is to build a better internet, an ideal also shared by the proponents of developers blockchain technology. Cloudflare has since become a major player in website security and content delivery services. Last year, the company posted a tidy revenue of $656.4 million. In 2018, Cloudflare began its blockchain pivot, starting with the launch of interplanetary file system gateways. The gateway provided a read-only HTTP accessible interface to the interplanetary file system, or IPFS, it doesn't require users to download any special software to or give up any storage space. The IPFS is a blockchain-based file sharing network, which even hosts all your favorite decrypt articles, including this one. To read this article or any other on IPFS, simply scroll down to the bottom of any decrypt.co story and next to the social sharing buttons in a queue with IPFS next to it. Yeah, yeah, you click that link. Okay, well, that's pretty cool. Anyway, uh, a year later, Cloudflare launched the Ethereum gateway, which lets users interact with Ethereum and add interactive elements uh, to sites powered by Ethereum smart contracts without installing additional software. At the end of last month, Cloudflare detected and stopped a huge distributed denial of service attack on a cryptocurrency platform, but declined to reveal the platform's identity. Yeah, it was probably your own, why? How many times has Cloudflare had massive issues? I'm talking major, major hacks. I'm not even gonna search for it. You can search for it. Use, I don't know, go ahead, use Google. I don't care anymore. Search Cloudflare hacks. So you got a shitty chain that represents the circus of the world with clowns on fire running around carrying dumpsters that are also on fire, and you're going to pair it with Cloudflare. Okay, sure, sure. Honestly, the question stands. What could 
possibly go wrong? Back to Bitcoin. Five stalls that caught my attention at Bitcoin 2022's Bitcoin Bazaar. Bitcoin Magazine, Jose, or no, sorry, Yosef Titek. Bitcoin 2022 was home to high-profile keynotes, announcements, and blah, blah, blah. The Bitcoin Bazaar was the place to get to know some of the more interesting projects in Bitcoin merch. Not necessarily world-changing, but definitely uplifting, like panties for Bitcoin. What I first considered as a wacky Bitcoiner meme turned out to be high-quality Italian-made lingerie run by a lovable family. Pablo, the mastermind behind the business, is an Argentinian immigrant with decades of experience in the underwear industry and a passion for money free from government intrusion. Several years ago, he combined his two obsessions and founded Panties for Bitcoin with no more fiat panties and be truly confident as company mottos. Pablo and his family, his wife, Sylvia, and his son, Michael, do their part for the circular economy, offering a 10% discount on orders paid in Bitcoin. Check out panties4bitcoin.com. That's panties4bitcoin.com. They're actually one of my favorite companies too. No, I don't buy them for my wife, but they are still honestly one of my favorite companies. Now, buzz it forward. That's another one out of the bazaar. Every large conference seems to have a barber these days, and the Miami gathering was of no exceptions. Buzz it forward wasn't offering just a haircut, though. The project's mission is to help disadvantaged children and juveniles through sponsored haircuts and mentoring. So whoever had a haircut at the conference actually sponsored three haircuts for those that can't afford it. The idea being that a good-looking hairline could be the decisive factor for landing a first job for a 16-year-old or otherwise help in similar situations. When asked about accepting Bitcoin as a payment, the very likable barber at the booth answered that it was still a new thing for them, but that they believe that it's the future. And you can check out the project at buzzitforward.com. That's buzzitforward.com. Coming to Coiner Time Blockwatch. Do you need to check Moscow time? Like, you know, several times a day? Do you have an obsession of checking whether blocks are ticking at an average of 10 minutes a piece? Well, fret no further, as you can now switch from fiat time to a universal Bitcoiner time with Blockwatch. This neat wearable allows you to switch between Moscow time, uh, sats per dollar, current block height, and a QR code of one's public key. Fiat UTC time is available as well, but only as a flash function when certain buttons are pressed. And do they have a website? Oh, over here. Yeah. Coin, coin, the Coiner Time, the company behind Blockwatch, is from Florida, accepts only Bitcoin via BTC Pay server for the product, and sticks to an open source philosophy with both the watch hardware and software available under an MIT license. Blockwatch is a hobby side project for the Coiner Time team. Their main business being Benthouse, a Bitcoin mining company that aims to build small scale mining farms in all 50 states. Check them out at coinertime.com. That's coinertime.com, all one word. Mirror One, quote, Bitcoin embodies this revolution. It's the most important one of our time with a currency I can get behind, offering a new alternative economy based on non-confiscatable sound money principles. It liberated me as an artist and in many ways, like graffiti art, saved my life a second time by empowering me to continue on creating conscious art for a community that reflects the same sentiment. 
Bitcoin is the new graffiti, end quote, Mirror One. There were quite a few artists at the bazaar and Mirror One was the one that caught my attention due to his kick-ass t-shirt designs. Unfortunately, we only managed time for a brief chat, so I fully appreciated his work only after the conference when I had a chance to look through his work in detail. To my delight, I found out that Mir One designed the album cover of Nonfiction's Future Is Now, one of my favorite hip-hop albums of all time. Link to tweet. Oh, <laughs> I can't believe I read link to tweet. Fuck it. Mir One is based in Los Angeles, and he drove across the entire United States to come to Miami. Check out his work at mirrorone.com and read his thoughts on Bitcoin and art here at Bitcoin Magazine. Greg Zaj is going to have me on a poll for reading click link to tweet. Oh my God. Um, I, I can't wait for it, honestly. He'll, he'll probably do something fairly creative. Shamari. Oh, this is one of my favorite companies in the space. Bitcoin has been around for 13 years. And as it comes of age, Bitcoiners mature as well. While the mainstream journalists still paint us as youngsters chasing their Lambo dreams, in reality... A growing number of us are 35 years old with low time preference values such as a spouse, you know, and kids. And in every Bitcoiner's household, the kids are inevitably going to ask, what's that Bitcoin thing you talk about all the time, dad? Quote, mom, dad wants to give me an allowance in sats. What's that? Another question, who's that Satoshi guy you keep mentioning? And so on and so forth. So naturally, we need child-friendly resources that help the young ones learn about the orange coin. Scott and Mallory Sibley were in a similar situation, so they created Shamari, a memory-inspired card game about Bitcoin mining. Shamari is a simple game that even a three-year-old can play, personally verified claim. And me too, by the way. I, loved, uh, we, I got three decks of it at my house now. Continuing, and it explains the basic mechanics of mining while introducing relevant terms such as nonce, block reward, and stuff into the vocabulary. Shamari by itself would be pretty cool, but Scott and Mallory also wrote and illustrated Good Night Bitcoin, a simple story in verse about Satoshi, Hal, and the creation of Bitcoin. The best part? Both Shamari and Good Night Bitcoin feature the same cute monster-themed artwork so kids naturally fall in love with both. Find out more at shamari.com. That is spelled S-H-A-M-O-R-Y.com. Shamari.com. Uh, let's see. Soul, sparkle, and smile of Bitcoin. So besides Bitcoin Bazaar, there were other interesting booths that filled the huge expo hall. This was the place to be if you wanted to meet your favorite Bitcoiners. Uh, get a book signed by Saifedean Amis or Alan Farrington or shop for a new hardware wallet. To be honest, I enjoyed the time mingling with the plebs in the booth maze more than any of the talks. You can always watch the talks online later, but you can't ever recreate the feeling of meeting new friends, exploring the niches of the buzzing Bitcoiner culture, or if you're manning a company booth, getting firsthand feedback from your users. Bitcoin 2022 was awesome, not so much for the high-profile keynotes, but rather for meeting the fellow orange-pilled Bitcoiners who add the soul, smile, and sparkle to the monetary revolution. Yeah, I gotta agree. I mean, like, honestly, hanging out at the two conferences I've been to, uh, Bitblock Boom in Dallas a couple of years ago, and more recently, the Beef, the Beef Initiative conference over in Kerrville, Texas, just meeting the people is better. 
And I've already determined that any of the other conferences I go to, I'm going to be more heavy on hitting the bar and chilling out in the hallway and lobbies and sitting down in chairs with other Bitcoiners than I am about going to the talks. I'll pick a few talks, but I'm not going to go to all of them. All right. You pick your poison, make friends, chill out at the bar. And if you don't drink alcohol, I don't know, have a, oh, uh, what is it? A bitters and soda. It's really good for the stomach and really quite tasty and completely non Well, it's mostly non-alcoholic. Bitters is a tincture of herbs. So by definition, a tincture is something that sits in, you know, 75, 80% or like 80 proof alcohol to extract all the goodness out of it. But honestly, there's not a whole lot of alcohol in a bitters and soda. So try one today and I will, well, maybe see you at the bar. Do I got anything else? I guess I should mention that BitMEX is launching a spot crypto exchange following a $30 million penalty. We don't need the verbiage of it because we are coming up to an hour uh, but yeah, so BitMEX was one of my favorite exchanges in the Bitcoin space for like forever. It was just so wild to watch people. I mean, it was really degenerate. Okay. I'm not, I'm not giving them like bonus points here for being alive because guess what? They were offering shit like 10, 50, 100 X leverage on trading in a shitcoin casino, okay? But Arthur Hayes was really good when it came to understanding and, and illustrating how important Bitcoin was and that everything else was just shit. Yet he had the exchange, BitMEX, and BitMEX got people wrecked. That's how you got BitMEX wrecked uh, Twitter account, basically showing who got liquidated out of their short and long positions. That has now converted to BM wrecked. BM wrecked on Twitter, I think is, it's, I think it's just at BM wrecked. Um, they, it does the same thing, except it's not as, it's pretty much like all longs and shorts, but there was a time where you couldn't use leverage anywhere, but on BitMEX. And I re, that's when it sort of, when I got into the space was, it was really only BitMEX, Gemini and Kraken and oh and binance but leverage was really only ever available on bitmex and my god almighty the degeneracy that i saw over there was just was absolutely fucking astounding watching people you know put like put up $10,000 go take long on 100x leverage and then get blown out I honestly think that they may have been responsible for the first postings of the suicide hotline number, but be that as it may, Arthur Hayes is a good Joe, right? And he took one for the team when he went down. So now BitMEX is launching a spot crypto exchange. I think this is good. At least somebody recognizes that they need to stop using derivative products based on some aspect of an asset. Most futures for Bitcoin right now are based on a derivative using price, the, the, the issue of price of the asset of Bitcoin. There's going to be derivatives on what's the hash rate. There will be derivatives of what's the difficulty. There's going to be derivatives on, there's going to be people there. I guarantee there are people taking bets as to whether or not <coughs> at, an, at an 11 minute block time, 
if what are the you know, gambling on what the chances of a 10 minute block coming in is. Those are all derivative products. It's all degeneracy. So at least BitMEX in the face of the bullshit that's going on has the wherewithal to offer some kind of spot product. Just wanted to mention that. That's gonna do it for the morning roundup. Got a joke from Dad Says Jokes. Sorry, sir, we don't serve time travelers here. A time traveler walks into a bar. Yeah, that's the nerd in me coming out. All right, guys, again, help support the show. Podcasting 2.0 is the way to go if you need to know. Other than that, there's not a whole lot left except to say I'm trying to edit together a few videos that I took uh, of making bone broth for the Beef Initiative Bone Broth Challenge. I haven't started my challenge yet. It's a 48-hour fast where the only thing you can... Uh, have for sustenance is water, black coffee, and bone broth. And it's the bone broth that obviously brings all the nutrition to the table. Uh, there are particular ways of making broth, and I am make I've I made my bone broth with uh, the pressure cooking method, not just letting it stew on the stovetop for hours and hours and hours. Because, well, the whole the video kind of talks about that. So I've got to edit all this shit together. <clears throat> I do not, I'm not a YouTuber, man. Okay, so when this video comes out, please give me a break about the fact that there's probably a spot of grease on the stove. That, you know, the, the oven door I noticed was like, oh shit, I forgot to polish, you know, make it all nice and clean. Be, you know, why is there, there stuff on the, on the stove and on the oven door? Because we cook 95% of the food that we eat in this house. That's important. Learn If you don't know how to cook, you need to learn how to cook, right? So how to make bone broth, I go through it. What the kind of, you know, cuts of meat and bone that I'm using, all that kind of stuff. When I get it out, I don't know how I'm going to chop it up because it's going to be at least 20 minutes long and you can't upload a video like that to Twitter. I do have a YouTube channel. I will definitely put the whole damn thing up there but I'm trying to figure out whether I'm going to chop it up and piecemeal it out into a Twitter thread or, or not, because I just, I hate putting up YouTube links in Twitter because most of the time it takes you to, to YouTube itself instead of playing like an embed player, at least it, that's what happens for me. And it's just so annoying. Anyway, so be on the lookout for that. If you want to learn how to make high quality bone broth, uh, using a pressure canner, I, I, I got you covered and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.